This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening, a guest coming back onto the podcast is Mr. Chris Tripodi, co-host of the Draft Analyst Podcast with Tony Pauline. Chris, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. That's a pleasure to be back, Paul. Always good, uh, always good chatting with you outside of you know text messages throughout the year and, and things like that, and uh, you know ready to chop up some some draft talk for the AFC. Absolutely. So you know, guys, if you have been missing any of the coverage here at Saturday to Sunday, we had three recap podcasts for each day of the NFL draft. We had our Dynasty Rookie Ranking Show, and then the most recent episode, uh, we had a couple guests on, and Matt and myself and two guests. We did a two-round Dynasty rookie mock draft, but we wanted to turn our attention back to the draft as a whole for this episode, and Chris is back here joining me just like last year, and we're going to break down every team in the AFC, what we liked about the draft, our favorite picks, some value picks, questionable picks, an overview of the draft class in its entirety. So so let's get started. Uh, we broke it down, and, and Chris is going to kick it off with the AFC East here. So Chris, get it started. All right. Well, uh, you know, the first team up in the AFC East, if we're going to go alphabetically here, would be the Buffalo Bills, who did not have a first round pick in this year's draft because they traded it along with some other picks for Stefan Diggs uh, for the Minnesota Vikings so that they could add just another weapon for, for Josh Allen to throw the ball to. I mean, now, you know, Diggs, John Brown, uh, they added Gabe Davis in the draft, which we'll get to shortly and still have Cole Beasley around there. So definitely some weapons around Josh Allen to, you know, hopefully see him as he takes the next step as a quarterback and then possibly makes Buffalo a bit more than, you know, just a, a fringe playoff contender. But we'll get to the picks here. And without that first round pick, the first pick they had was 54 in the second round. And they drafted a falling AJ Epinesa defensive end out of Iowa. The third round, they went with Zach Moss, the running back out of Utah. Gabe Davis, as I mentioned before, was their fourth round pick at number 128. Jake Fromm was the fifth round pick at pick 167. A lot of people surprised that uh, Fromm ended up going there. 21 picks later in the sixth round, Tyler Bass, the kicker out of Georgia Southern, was taken by the Bills. Then they had Isaiah Hodgins, the Oregon State wide receiver, also in the sixth round, and they rounded out their draft with Dane Jackson, the quarterback out of Pittsburgh. If we're looking at this draft as a whole, I mean, my favorite pick is the first pick. It has to be AJ Vanessa. Um, you know, I was on a Buffalo radio station, uh, WGN, maybe a week or two before the draft, and, and they asked me, what edges might the Bills look at in the second round? And I threw out the, you know, Julian Aquara, Jabari Zuniga, those type of names. But AJ Epinesa was not on my mind because I just not did not expect him to be available at pick 54 where Buffalo was able to take him. I mean, this is a guy, if this whole epidemic, or I should call it a pandemic, that's what it's actually called, if this whole pandemic started a month earlier and there was no NFL combine, AJ Epinesa does not fall to the 54th overall pick. I mean, just the athletic testing really hurt him in the eyes of obviously NFL teams here. They didn't even take him in the top 50 of the draft, which is crazy because when you pop on his tape, he's just a really good football player. Maybe he's not a pure edge rusher, a guy who's going to get you 10 to 12 sacks per season, but this is a good football player. Um, You know, I'm not making the comparison of him to, you know, a Cam Jordan type of guy or a Cameron Hayward type of guy, but he's that kind of player who can play the run. He can rush the passer. He's not elite at it, but he can get you, you know, six to eight sacks 
in a season and along with the play against the run, you know, he's going to provide a lot of value for the Bills on this pick at a position of need. I mean, when you can hit a home run like that at a position where you really needed to add a player, you're, you're doing really well. Uh, I'd say the best value for Buffalo would be Gabe Davis. Um, they didn't really have any picks that scream value to me. Um, you know, I, you mentioned Tony earlier. He loves Gabe Davis. Thought he should have gone about 50 picks earlier. I'm not that quite. Or I should say I'm not quite that high on Gabe Davis, but I do like him as a player. Um, you know, he's a deep threat, but not the kind of guy who runs a 4-4 to get deep. You know, he uses his body to separate. He has good timing, things like that. So he's a good, solid player, and, and he's going to add a lot of depth to that Bills receiving core. And in the end, you know, there's just more and more weapons for Josh Allen to just be able to throw the football to. Obviously, we know what he can do with his legs, but just to get him throwing the football finding weapons, getting them open in space, and just getting them a ball and allowing them to move the offense down the field when he's not scrambling or they're not running the football will be really huge for that team. And you know, that kind of takes me into my overview here, which the fact that they added a complimentary running back to Devin Singletary. Um, this is something you and I have discussed personally a lot in just like our opinion on Devin Singletary being that he's not the true number one back. He's never going to be a bell cow. I mean, he doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the receiving ability. You know, those are two things that you really look for when you want like a true bell cow number one running back. And, you know, the Bills drafted him in the third round last year. That doesn't mean that they can't take another running back this year because they only spent two third round picks. But now they have a solid backfield. Zach Moss is a very nice compliment to Singletary. He's got the size that Singletary doesn't have. So Singletary is probably now third in line for goal line touches in Buffalo behind uh, Josh Allen and, and now Zach Moss. But Moss is a good athlete, too. I mean, you know, sluggish 40 time a little bit, but overall is a functional athlete. He's smooth on the field. He can catch the ball. He can make plays in space. You know, his problem is the injury bug. He was always hurt in college, and it's very difficult, especially at the running back position, to be a guy who got hurt a lot in college and all of a sudden gets to the pros and is able to play 15, 16 games a season. It really doesn't happen that often. Uh, but, you know, I, I like that they addressed it, and I think they made a nice pick in terms of complementing Devlin Singletary. Um, you know, could it have been – a little bit early for that pick. Sure. If Zach Moss can't stay on the field, which is a definite risk, but if he does end up staying on the field enough to carry the ball, or should I say touch the ball 10 to 12 times and, and just work with Singletary in that offense, I think that could be a real, real nice haul for Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, I like what Buffalo did here. I mean, you talked about obviously trading their first round pick for Stefan Diggs and there was more involved in that trade, but I like the aggressive move to upgrade their wide receiver one position. So I was okay with them moving their first round pick plus to get Diggs. You said everything perfectly about AJ Epinesa. I had some reservations about him as a, as a guy that would not translate well to a team that likes to play a lot of three, four and has their rushers standing up off the edge. But I think Epinesa in Buffalo is a home run pick. I think schematically it's a great landing spot. So I think they got great value from him. You, you talked about Moss and, and how well he compliments Singletary. I wasn't as high as, on Moss as some people on draft Twitter or the fancy Twitter community, but I do think he compliments uh, Singletary well as a nice one-two duo back there. And I like what they do with the wide receivers. Gabriel Davis, I thought, could go late round three, early round four. They took him more to the back end of round four. And then I liked Isaiah Hodgins a lot. I thought he could have been a round four, round five guy who they got late in the draft. So I think they upgraded around Josh Allen. I think they have very much in, in contention to maybe steal that division finally from the Patriots, you know, with, uh, you know, Tom Brady moving on. So I think the Bills, I like what they did as a whole in the offseason. And in particular, I like what they did in the draft, especially without that first round pick. So, uh, Chris, why don't you keep it going and move it to the next team? Absolutely. And I am glad you mentioned Hodgins, though, because he's the type of receiver they need, like a big body guy. They don't have anyone like that on the roster. Davis isn't quite that. 
Um, so we'll move on here and, and we'll hit the Miami Dolphins who had a boatload of picks in this year's draft. They drafted 11 players in the end and it all started at number five, despite all the smoke screens, despite all the rumors that they were going to draft Andrew Thomas or that, you know, Tua Tagovailoa may fall into the teens or into the twenties. Now he, he went number five to Miami as everyone kind of expected all along since early in the process, you know, as, as they say, the closer to the draft you get, the less information should be believed. And that wasn't always true this year. There were some things that came out late that did end up becoming very true. Tua Tagovailoa falling in the draft was not one of those. A great job by Miami to take arguably the best quarterback in this class. I mean, you have the health concerns, obviously, that keep him kind of behind Joe Burrow in some ways. But, you know, he, he's as talented as anybody in this class. You get him at number five. You don't have to trade or make any moves to get him. So that was a great, great pick there. Miami did have two first-round picks beyond that. Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle out of USC at 18, and Auburn quarterback Noah Igbenogany at pick number 30. Uh, in the second round, they had another two picks, Robert Hunt, offensive lineman out of Louisiana, and Raekwon Davis, the defensive lineman out of Alabama. In the third round, they took safety Brandon Jones out of Texas. In the fourth round, again, only one pick, Solomon, Kins- Solomon Kinley, the guard out of Georgia. In the fifth round, the Dolphins took two players who fell further than a lot of people thought, and that's Jason Strobridge, defensive lineman. We can call him a defensive end, I guess, based on their scheme out of North Carolina, and uh, edge rusher Curtis Weaver out of Boise State. Then they rounded out their draft with a long snapper, Blake Ferguson out of LSU, and Malcolm Perry, the former Navy quarterback who will be making the transition to wide receiver, running back, you know, whatever hybrid role you want to say for Malcolm Perry here. My favorite pick, you know, I already talked about it a little bit. It's two attack of Aloha. Um, maybe it's a little cheap to take the first two players taken by each of these two, two teams so far, but you know, he was a great fit. They didn't, again, they didn't have to trade up for him. If Tua finishes last season healthy and there are no concerns, they have to trade up for him. They have to give up some of those 11 picks to move up and draft Tua Tagovailoa. They didn't have to do that. Obviously, they're taking on a little more risk than they would have in that scenario because the injury woes are here, and they are real. I mean, there is actual concern about Tua Tagovailoa staying on the football field, but if he's able to do that, then this is a home run pick. I mean, Miami got their franchise quarterback, in, in my opinion, and they should be extremely happy with that. You know, they did a good job adding offensive linemen to protect him as well, so that's another nice piece of their draft. I'd say the best values were the guys I mentioned in the fifth round. I mean, Strobridge and Weaver, um, you know, these guys were getting day two talk at certain points. Curtis Weaver before this year was, you know, getting early day two talk, didn't quite have the season that I think a lot of people expected despite putting up some good stats. But, you know, he's a guy that if he loses a little weight, gets in, in better shape and, and really, you know, focuses on getting his body back to where it was early in his college career, he's going to make an impact off the edge for Miami. And and Jason Strobridge was a guy who, you know, it only took half a senior bowl practice for the coaching staff to realize, wow, we need to start double teaming this guy. So, you know, it it took about an hour and and they started double teaming him by the end of the practice because he just came out so hot at the beginning. I mean, he was beating everybody off the ball. Nobody could handle him one-on-one down in Mobile. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Dolphins use him because they drafted him as a defensive end. That's how he was announced. He was a defensive tackle at North Carolina. He was always a little small. He was more of a gap-shooting type of three-technique guy. So it'll be interesting to see how they use him, but he's a guy that can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. Not necessarily a pass rusher who's going to get to the quarterback all the time, but he's a guy that can cause disruption. And as we know, that is definitely a good way to get some production for everybody else on your defense. A couple questionable picks though. Miami didn't have like outside of Shorebridge and Weaver, they didn't really hit value on a lot of picks that they made. I mean, Igbenogany is a good player. He's got definite upside to him just as an athlete, but he's raw and, and to take him in the first round 
at the end of the first round with some of the corners that ended up going in the second round. Um, you know, Trayvon Diggs went 20-something picks later. Christian Fulton, who we'll discuss later on the show, went about 30 picks later. So, you know, there were guys available behind Ibn Ogany that maybe don't have the raw physical upside he is, but they're better cornerbacks right now. Um, so, you know, that, that could be a bit of a reach. And, and Robert Hunt as well. Miami drafted him as a tackle. You know, they seem like they really plan to have him play tackle. But a lot of people think he's a guard. I, I feel like more NFL teams had him at guard than they did at tackle, which is going to define your draft value. If he's a successful tackle, even just as you know an average starter type of guy, this is not a bad spot for him at pick 39. But if he's that as a guard, that drops his value a little bit more maybe into the third round. And then you have a bit of a reach on your hands if that is all you get out of him being a guard. So Miami had a lot of picks. I like what they did at the top. A lot of people were very upset about the Austin Jackson pick. Um, you know, I, I think Jackson, again, he's another guy with high upside who isn't quite there yet. It's kind of a theme in Miami's draft in some ways with him and Nick Benogany. Um, You know, Raekwon Davis is also like an upside guy based on what he showed as a sophomore, but he hadn't shown that as a junior and as a senior, his game kind of leveled off. So the question is, are you getting the Raekwon Davis that, Alabama saw as a sophomore, and if you are, you're getting an excellent player. If not, that could be another pick that's probably considered a reach. And you know, they hit on important positions. As I said, they protected Tua with some offensive linemen. Um, they didn't really draft skill players. They didn't really need to. You can get those guys. Um, you know, in free agency, you can get them in next year's draft. Miami knows that they're not a contender right now, and they just want to build a foundation. And I think they did a good job of that, even if the value they got on a lot of those picks wasn't so great. Yeah, man, I think you laid it out really nicely in terms of your favorite pick, your value picks, your questionable picks. They would have been the exact same if I was introducing the Dolphins. You know, I love the Tua. They didn't have to move up and get him. They played that perfectly leading up into the draft. I Jackson and, and Ibiani, uh they're high upside, but they do have some concerns about them. You know, somebody might have said, you know, Let's not take Jackson. Let's go with different tackle there. Uh, someone who's a little bit more safer, potentially. You know, the, you already brought up the cornerbacks that were available 20, 30 picks after they made that selection. I like the Robert Hunt pick. It'd be interesting to see where he plays guard or tackle. I think you mentioned it, but I'm surprised they didn't get to a, a wide receiver in this draft class. If I could, if I could swap out, listen, they had, you know, the, the, the tackle in the corners rated as they are. But when I look at this, I, Raekwon Davis is the pick that I think, yes, if they get that guy who is the five-star player, you know, entering Alabama, but he's never really shown that that's going to translate to be an impactful player where he gets a lot of, you know, penetration and impacts, you know, in the backfield a lot and, and disrupting the quarterback. I would have liked to see them maybe, you know, target a wide receiver in round two there. That would have been my one thing that, you know, if you didn't want to, you know, say, you know, they went for too much up. Side. I would have liked to see a wide receiver there, maybe instead of Raekwon Davis. I agree completely about Strobridge and Weaver. I think those were great value picks. So they did some really nice things, and I think you, you said it perfectly. They're trying to set the foundation, and then also they took some risks on some high upside guys that they hope pan out. I think they, they could have went a little bit safer in some issue regards, and maybe would have been a wide receiver is what I would have went after. Uh, but I think we're pretty much lockstep in terms of how we saw the Dolphins. So you can keep this going and head right to the next team, Chris. Absolutely. And that next team is another team that had a lot of picks, and they have a lot of picks every year because they're the New England Patriots. They had 10 draft picks this year. 
traded back out of the first round, ended up with pick 37 as their first selection, took safety Kyle Duger out of Lenore Ryan as the number two safety off the board ahead of LSU's Grant Delpit. They had another second-round pick, and they chose a, a friend of uh, mine and Tony's podcast, Josh Uche, linebacker out of Michigan. We had him on last summer, and, he, and it was a great chat uh, with him. Certainly go check that out if you have the time. Patriots then had a trio of third-round picks. Anthony Jennings, linebacker, edge rusher out of Alabama, and a pair of tight ends. You know, the Patriots decided to go back to the Rod Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez days, and they drafted Devin Asiasi out of UCLA and Dalton Keene out of Virginia Tech. In the fifth round, they took Justin Rohrwasser, kicker, out of Marshall, and they also drafted the guard out of Michigan, Michael Onwenu. In round six, drafted another offensive lineman, Justin Heron, out of Wake Forest, and Cash Malaya, linebacker, out of Wyoming. And then in the seventh round, they rounded out their draft with Dustin Woodard, center, out of Memphis. Uh, I kind of alluded to it when I mentioned him during the picks, but I'd say my favorite pick out of these would have to be Josh Uche. Um, you know, basically – you know, he had a junior season where he had, I think it was eight and a half sacks as a part-time player coming in off the bench. Um, just, you know, really showed some explosive traits, came out as a senior and, and wasn't quite as productive as maybe some people would have expected. But then he went down to Mobile and he showed that not only can he get after it on the edge, but he can drop in coverage. He's smooth in reverse. He can go sideline to sideline. He has some instincts to play middle linebacker. He knows how to work through the trash. I mean, this is a guy, you know, the Patriots have always, you know, I, I liken him maybe to a Kyle Van Noy type of player who the Patriots drafted a few years ago. Who People were like, oh, is he an edge rusher? Is he a linebacker? No, he's just pretty good at football, and he does a lot of things well. Uche isn't quite there at the level where Van Noy was just because he hasn't played as much. But that upside is absolutely there. And for a team like the Patriots who likes to kind of have versatile chess pieces and use them around their defense. Uche is going to be a great fit for them. So I'm, I'm very, uh, very happy for Josh Uche that he ended up getting drafted in the second round and, and the Patriots did end up with a good spot there. Um, I'd say the best value were the two offensive linemen that I mentioned in Michael and Wayne and Justin Heron. And, and these guys could be more different as players. Wayne is more of your small area, Mueller, you know, power run blocking type of guard. Whereas Justin Heron play tackle at Wake Forest, uh, listed on a, a lot of guard boards and some tackle boards around the NFL. So kind of like we discussed with Robert Hunt, the position is kind of up in the air. But, I mean, he is a, a good football player. He's a good athlete. doesn't have the run blocking strength that somebody like Michael Owen who has. But, you know, you're drafting contrasting styles here so that you can kind of switch things up. If these are your, you know, low-end starters or your depth guys, you can work in different offensive schemes. You can work in different gap running games, zone running games, power running games, and, and really utilize the talent that you have in the backfield and not have to worry about shaping the offensive line around it. When it comes to some questionable picks, I didn't love the Anthony Jennings pick. Um, you know, I, I think he's just a marginal athlete. He was never the most productive guy in the world. I mean, he's a good football player, but I don't see the upside for him to be a day one or a day two pick. I had him as more of like an early day three type of guy. So I, I thought that pick was a little early, but Bill Belichick loves his, uh, his Nick Saban disciples out of Alabama. The Alabama players tend to, you know, do well in New England. So it's, it's a very Patriots pick. I just didn't love the value of it. Um, drafting a kicker in round five is okay if he's the consensus top kicker in the draft. Justin Rohrwasser was not the consensus top kicker. Um, you know, there were, I don't even know if some people had him in their top five at kicker. So obviously the Patriots saw something, but that, that's very early to go for a guy that might not have been really on other teams' radars in 
round five or even round six might have been a guy that's really a last day pick. Overall, I thought it was a decent showing for the Patriots. Uh, I didn't touch much on the tight ends. Um, you know, Devin Asiasi is more of like your your inline tight end, and Dalton Keene is the guy who no one knew about until he blew up the combine. Uh, you know, he declared early out of Virginia Tech, and I don't think anyone expected him to go in the third round. But, you know, here he is. Those two guys can complement each other very well, but it's not going to be – a Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez type of situation. I, I can't, uh, I can't imagine either of these players sniffs the uh, the likes of what those two were able to do. But again, that's a very high bar to clear. Yeah, I mean, this is typical Patriots. We were, you know, it's curious to see, you know, with the loss of Tom Brady, if they would adjust and be a little bit different, if they would be aggressive in, in going to get a quarterback. It's obvious that they legitimately want to give Jared Stidham an opportunity there. And I think the only way they might have went after a quarterback is if two has started to slide. You already mentioned the connection between Belichick and Saban, that if that that those rumors of two is sliding into the middle of round one, if that was to actually happen, I could have seen Belichick maybe make an aggressive move to go get him. But besides that, I think they want to give Jared Stidham an opportunity. And, you know, the rest of this draft was was Patriots. They move up a little bit, they move down. They accumulate picks, they go, they target target specific guys that a lot of people, you know, around, you know, on draft Twitter probably don't have that high. They get versatile players like Kyle Duggar and Josh Uche and even Anthony Jennings. While I agree with you hundred percent, I thought more of a day three around four round five guy. I think he does have some versatility. He can play to run well. They probably see a reduced version of a Kyle Van Noy in terms of part edge, part, you know, strong side backer in, in a guy like him. I like Asi Asi a lot. He was probably my favorite pick that they, you know, of, of the, besides, you know, Uche at the top. He was my number five tight end going into this class, but I didn't think the margin between him and the other guys. And I actually think his upside might be the highest of any of the tight ends to be that tight end who can play in line, but also can be detached, can be in motion, can attack the seam vertically. He has the body type to actually hold up as a good blocker. So I actually like that pick a lot. But yeah, I think it was more the same with the Patriots. Really no different than, you know, some head scratching picks from our perspective. But that's usually the the Belichick and the Patriot way, honestly, on most drafts. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned Jared Stidham. I mean, he's a guy that you and I have both, you know, been intrigued by since he came out. So it'll be interesting to see him get the opportunity here. Um, you know, they obviously have enough confidence in him that they said, hey, you know, you're know, you going to be our guy. So, you know, we'll see where that goes for New England. Uh, we'll move on to the final team in the AFC East, which is a team that thinks they have their guy. But this is going to be a big year for Sam Darnold and the New York Jets. And the Jets realizing that they still need to see what they have officially and, and firmly in Darnold after kind of mono ruined the season last year for the Jets. They drafted Mekhi back to number 11 overall at Louisville. Just a big road grading tackle who has potential on the left side, showed off the athleticism at the combine. So, you know, just more protection for Sam Darnold in addition to the 17,000 offensive linemen that they signed in free agency in round two. The Jets kind of manipulated the board for what I thought was the first time ever. Um, at least since I've been following the draft. And they traded down from number 48 when everyone, including myself, wanted Denzel Mims. They picked up a third-round pick. They still got Denzel Mims, and then they traded that third-round pick for two fourth-round picks. So they got the guy that everyone wanted, and they added a couple of mid-round picks. That's what teams like the Patriots do to not only get a lot of picks, but to just add value to their roster. Ashton Davis was the Jets' pick in the third round at number 68. 11 picks later, they added Jabari Zuniga, another Florida edge rusher, um, out of the Gators, you know, they drafted July, Chikai Polite last year, so we'll see. Uh, hopefully it doesn't end up quite at the same level for the Jets this year. Uh, they had those three fourth-round picks, the two they traded for, as I mentioned. The first one they had, though, 
Florida running back LaMichael Pirine. And then with the two picks they got in trade, Florida international quarterback James Morgan and Charlotte offensive tackle Cameron Clark. In the fifth round, they picked up cornerback Bryce Hall out of Virginia. And in the sixth round, punter Braden Mann out of Texas A&M. My favorite pick here, if you couldn't hear from when I was discussing the picks, is Denzel Mims out of Baylor. I mean, the fact that the Jets were able to trade back 11 spots and still get Denzel Mims uh, was just kind of surprising. Uh, it was very surprising he fell as far as he did. I understand there are inconsistencies on tape. I understand that what he did in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, which was have an excellent week, and that's what he did throughout the pre-draft process, I understand that that wasn't what he did on tape all season. So I can see maybe why he fell a little bit. But, I mean, just the physical upside that Denzel Mims possesses as both an athlete and a guy who can win above the rim as well. I mean, he's he's a guy that can really be the total package at receiver if he develops. So, you know, the Jets really hope he develops here, and, and he was certainly a great value pick. Another good value pick in my eyes was Jabari Zuniga. Um, you know, I hope I don't eat these words like, you know, everyone said Ja'Kai Polite last year. Oh, he was great value, and, you know, he fell so far. And, well, there was a reason he fell so far. He should have fallen even further. And, you know, it didn't take long for him throughout the summer to fall completely off the roster. Um, Zuniga, though, excellent athlete, did well at the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, just a guy who I, I like with edge potential, and, and you don't see guys go outside the top 75 that often with the ability of Jabari Zuniga to rush the passer. So I thought that was just an excellent value pick for the Jets. Now, they did make a couple questionable picks, though, even though they did. I, I, what I They had what I thought was overall just a really good draft. Um, you know, the Ashton Davis pick is interesting. Um, you know, they needed help in the secondary, more so at corner than safety. Marcus May is a free agent next year. Maybe they envisioned Davis in that role. Maybe they just see Greg Williams moving him around, playing him in the slot. Uh, using that athleticism, but he didn't play the slot that much in college, and it's not like he was you know, some outstanding slot corner. So if that's the plan to use him, you maybe wanted to actually take a cornerback there. I also would have liked the receiver. You mentioned Miami not taking one. Um, I think the Jets could have used another receiver, and you know you have guys like Brian Edwards that are still on the board, and you take Ashton Davis, who's almost a luxury pick. Um, Cameron Clark was probably a bit of a reach in the fourth round. I think most people expect him to go later on. In day three, um, you know, the Jets obviously wanted to address the tackle position, but, you know, he might be a guy that has to push in to guard anyway. And, you know, they could have had, if if they're ending up with an interior offensive lineman anyway, if they were comfortable with the medicals, they could have had Tyler Biedish, Wisconsin center, could have had Jack Driscoll out of Auburn or Shane Lemieux, who the Giants got out of, uh, out of Oregon. So there were other options on the board. I like that they addressed the line. I wish that they addressed it with a different player. Um, but for the most part, it's really hard to knock what Joe Douglas did here for the Jets, you know, in his first crack at this, um, you know, the Jets haven't had a GM that has made an immediate impression on people like Joe Douglas has in a very long time, you know, just the ability to trade down the understanding of, you know, manipulating boards and, and just adding draft capital capital. And in the end, you can always move back up if you have to, Um, they got the guy that everyone wanted them to get. I don't know that that's the guy they take at 48, if that's where the pick is, that's, you know, an interesting discussion. Not sure about that, but, you know, overall, I think a good job by the Jets here. Yeah, I mean, I think the Jets really had a strong draft, you know, and then when you take into account the fact that they manipulated the board, like you said, moved down. Listen, if it was me, I would have taken Tristan Wirfs over Mackay Becton, but 
if they had any reservations about him being a tackle and they looked at him a little bit more as a guard or only a right tackle, I understand the Becton pick. He probably has the highest ceiling. I thought the Mims in the second round and manipulating the board was fantastic. I like Ashton Davis, the player. So maybe there's a little foresight there that they're seeing the writing on the wall that maybe, you know, Marcus May is not going to be back after next year and they already wanted that or they just wanted that three safety look that so many teams are using. Uh, I think Bryce Hall in the fifth round was a tremendous uh, value pick uh, for them as well. So I, I kind of like what the Jets did. I do agree with you, though, completely that I would have liked to see them double dip at the wide receiver position. That's the one thing where I think it would have it would have made some sense, whether it was higher up, like you talked about, Brian Edwards instead of Ashton Davis, or it was somewhere on day three if they didn't take James Morgan maybe. You know, I thought, they, I thought there were good wide receivers available, you know, where they were in the third round and then throughout the fourth and fifth round that I would have really liked to see them add another one in this deep of a draft class. But all things considered, I thought it was a strong draft uh, by the Jets there. So I think that's something, uh, you know, the Jets fans should be excited about. So, so there it is, guys, the AFC East. We went through each of those four teams uh, in depth. I'm going to translate this right over to, uh, and transition this, I should say, right over to the AFC North and, and kick it off with the Cincinnati Bengals. They obviously, you know, had the first pick overall. They selected Joe Burrow, quarterback out of LSU. Top of the second round, the 33 overall. They selected T. Higgins, wide receiver out of Clemson. In, in round three, pick 65, they took Logan Wilson, linebacker out of Wyoming. In round four, they took Akeem Davis-Gaither, another linebacker out of App State. In round five, they took uh, Khalid Kareem, edge uh, from Notre Dame. In round six, they selected Hakeem uh, Adeniji out of Kansas, the offensive lineman. And then in round seven, they selected Marcus Bailey, the linebacker out of Purdue. Favorite picks, to me, it's their first two. Joe Barrow, T. Higgins, you know, the franchise quarterback, how can you, you know, not, how can that not be your favorite pick? They didn't get cute. They didn't think about trading down, you know, to five and taking Justin Herbert or, you know, those wild rumors were out there. And then T Higgins, you know, I know a lot of people were down on him, you know, because of his 40 time at his pro day. And, you know, the league is at times is trending away from the athletic. I mean, the, the non-athletic, wide receivers that win more at the catch point. But for every Laquan Treadwell, it doesn't translate. There are guys that do. I think T. Higgins is more in the, you know, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson spectrum than, you know, Laquan Treadwell or, or guys like that. I think he can win and translate at the next level due to his body control, his ball skills. And I like him being there with Joe Burrow right from the start, growing together and developing together. So those are my two favorite picks. The value picks, I love Logan Wilson, you know, in round three. I thought if he went in round two, that would have been okay by me. Athletic linebacker, you know, can play to run, can can drop in coverage. I really like Logan Wilson, so that was my favorite value pick. I also thought the value on Akeem Davis-Gaither was very good. But I'm actually going to, as much as I like the player Akeem Davis-Gaither, that was actually my questionable pick at also because they had taken Logan Wilson – which was a big upgrade in round three. I thought they could have went to the offensive line there to kick off, you know, day three, that first pick in round four. I, you know, I looked at a guy like Keith Charles or Ben Barch, guys that I thought had a lot of upside to maybe develop uh, into Nick Charles or Ben Barch into starting caliber offensive linemen that I thought that might have been the play. So that would have been my questionable uh, pick, even though I do really like the, the prospect in Akeem Davis-Gate there. 
I like what they did. They added a lot of speed and uh, and upgrades at the linebacker position. I like that they didn't just, you know, that they got borrow another wide receiver and maybe the heir apparent down the line to A.J. Green, but just stack up that. And then obviously I love the fact that they didn't get cute and they took Joe Burrow and didn't think about a trade down. You know, I know they coached Justin Herbert at the Senior Bowl, but, you know, I was glad they didn't even consider something like that. And they took what I considered the best quarterback uh, in the draft, you know, and, and healthier more than two. So that's why I think it was a little bit of a, a tiebreaker there. Chris, any any quick thoughts on the Bengals and, and what they did? Well, I'm completely with you on T. Higgins. Uh, we could talk Burrow and Tua until the cows come home. So we're not going to waste time on that. But I mean, I could talk to you about T. Higgins, though, because, you know, he didn't run at the combine, obviously said he was tired. Then, you know, the pro day times weren't great. But this is a guy on tape. He looks pretty athletic. He doesn't look like he's, you know, slogging around on the field out there. I mean, this guy can make plays with the ball in his hands. He can get to the end zone, get to the corner when he has to. Um, you know, he's just a big play player and he's just a guy I want on my football team. I don't care what the athletic numbers say. Uh, maybe that ends up being wrong, but I, I think he's, you know, an immediate upgrade for the Bengals over John Ross, um, you know, a different type of player, obviously, but you, know, you can use him in so many ways. Logan Wilson, I mean, the Bengals, you can look at all these picks and they drafted these guys. They, these guys are all guys that could have gone earlier. Logan Wilson, as you said, could have gone a bit earlier. I mean, his stock skyrocketed in Mobile when he was just smoothly covering everybody in addition to the fact that he is a tackling machine and he tested well. I mean, he checked off every single box. Um, you know, that's what a guy needs to do. And Like, if you want to see what you need to do in the pre-draft um, process to really boost yourself, Logan Wilson did all that. So kudos to him. Well-deserving of the pick he got and probably could have gone even earlier. Team Davis-Gaither, if he wasn't injured and could have worked out, Ahead of the combine, he probably goes in the third round. Um, I, I agree that you know the Bengals should have gone offensive lineman at some point before the sixth round because um, that is just not a good offensive line. Even with Jonah Williams coming back, um, they're still going to struggle to protect Joe Burrow. But you know, overall, Khalid Kareem was a nice pick at the start of the fifth round. You know, Adenogy and Marcus Bailey have some upside as well. So I, I think every pick the Bengals made has a lot of merit. You know, you can argue about positions if you want, but really good draft, and it helps obviously drafting first in every round, but. You know, you can also miss and, and reach on those picks. Look at kind of what Miami did in a lot of ways, but Cincinnati did not do that. Absolutely, and and I think you're right. They they still need to upgrade that offensive line. That's going to be big, you know, for for Joe Burrow. I think Jonah Williams will help out there. So good overall draft by the Bengals. They were more active in free agency, so it'd be interesting. I think they could surprise people and could be you know a seven eight win team this year potentially uh, if that offensive line you know uh, can do its part. So I should have started here, but I got excited. Joe Burrow, number one overall pick. We're going alphabetical order. I skipped over to Baltimore <laughs> Ravens. Uh, who every year it seems like it's hard not to like what their draft looks like. And I think this is just another one that really strong up and down from round one all the way through round seven. You know, round one, uh, pick 28, they took linebacker out of LSU, Patrick Queen. In round two, pick 55 overall, they took J.K. Dobbins, running back out of Ohio State. In round three, pick 71 overall, they took Justin Matabuque, defensive tackle out of Texas A&M. They had another third-round pick, 92 overall. They took Devin Duvernay at a wide receiver out of Texas. And a 
two more third-round picks. 98 overall, they took Malik Harrison, linebacker out of Ohio State. And then pick 106, they took Tyree. I think it's Tyre Phillips, actually, is the, the, the correct pronunciation. I was calling him Tyree the whole time leading up to the draft. Guard out of Mississippi State. In round four, pick 143 overall, they took Ben Bresden, uh, at a guard out of Michigan. In round five, 170 overall, they took Broderick Washington, defensive tackle out of Texas Tech. In round six, pick 201 overall, they took James Prochet, wide receiver out of Southern Methodist. And then round seven, they took Geno Stone, safety out of Iowa. I mean, favorite picks, value picks, I can almost just group them all together because there, there's so many of them. I love Patrick Queen. I thought if he came off the board the middle of round one, it wouldn't have been a reach at all. So the fact that they got him at 28, I thought was my favorite pick and a value pick. Uh, I love the Duvernay pick, adds more speed and explosiveness. I watched Evan Duvernay, and I see a lot of DJ Moore. I mean, DJ Moore was a first-round pick a couple years ago, and Duvernay, you know, was the 92nd overall pick. So I see a lot of similarities in terms of their game. Not saying that Duvernay is going to be as successful as DJ Moore, but in terms of, you know, stylistically, their frame, their play style, how they can be used, I see a lot of similarities there to add another weapon. So I think he's very much going to quickly emerge, you know, with Marquise Brown to be maybe their two best receiving options uh, if Miles Boykin, you know, doesn't uh, show much development this year. The matter of week I pick, I mean, there was a lot of talk that he, you know, was at one point on the round one, round two border. And then, you know, that died out a little bit, but I still thought he was going round two. Uh, so I thought that was a really good value pick for them as well. Uh, Malik Harris, you know, get him and Queen to upgrade that linebacker position. I thought that was a, a good pick and great value. And the crazy part is my questionable pick. It's not questioning the player because I love J.K. Dobbins. If you've been a, you know, a longtime listener here to Saturday, Sunday, you know, he was my second running back, you know, in this draft class. So I love the running back. I just, it's hard. That Baltimore offense, I almost feel like it's plug and play. And we'll talk about the Chiefs a little bit later on, and I feel similar about them. So I do question a little bit them at 55 taking J.K. Dobbins when we've seen Gus Edwards be productive. I feel like if they would have given Justice Hill a lot of work, he would have been productive. I'm not sure they had to go at 55 and, and take a running back. But, but how strong the rest of their draft was and the value that they got up and down all the way. I didn't even talk about Geno Stone, seventh round. He could have went higher than that. So I guess I question the J.K. Dobbins pick a little bit, but it's more just taking a running back when it seems that their plug and play with just about anybody you put in there could be really good would be the only thing that I really questioned. Chris, any thoughts on on my feelings about J.K. Dobbins, whether it was worth it or not, or anything else that Baltimore did? Um, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on Dobbins. Uh, the funny thing is you're probably slightly higher on Dobbins than I am. I like him a lot. I think he's an excellent player. Uh, he's, he's my number three running back. I mean, yeah, we're picking hairs, but... I mean, just the fit in a Lamar Jackson-led offense, um, just the dangerous combination that J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson can be on RPOs and, and just plays like that. I mean, if you've seen J.K. Dobbins' numbers in college on RPOs, they are insane. And, you know, again, it helps having Justin Fields, but, oh, wait, he has Lamar Jackson too. So this is one of those, like, it's an amazing fit in terms of team offensive style and player it is unbelievable there i can understand what you're saying about value of running backs though because guys can succeed in baltimore you know gus edwards udfa mark ingram still has a year left on his contract um but in in the end i I think they just saw a guy that fit their team and their system perfectly and they decided that they needed to pull the trigger on him even if they didn't really view running back as a position of need um you know I, i i thought that was 
just an unreal fit for them. And, and if you know, you're going to add a guy like Ben Bredesen in the fourth round, uh, who's going to really pave the way in the running game once he end, ends up in the starting lineup, you know, you're going to have Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. I mean, good luck stopping them. And then you're going to focus on them. And then Marquise Brown and Devin Duvernay are going to run behind you and Lamar Jackson's going to hit him for a long touchdown. So th- this offense just continues to get more dangerous. Everyone, everyone was expecting a regression from Lamar Jackson just statistically, but giving him a weapon like J.K. Dobbins is only going to actually make him more dangerous, even if the stats aren't the same. Yeah, for sure. And and I agree 100%. The schematic fit is going to be great. You know, people, you know, when I was as high on Dobbins as I was, people would say, well, what happened that sophomore year? And honestly, that sophomore year, you know, with Dwayne Hassan's at quarterback, they weren't doing the RPO stuff. They, that space that, that Dobbins really, you know, you know, uh, looks at his best in and is most comfortable in this year. As soon as Justin Fields back at quarterback, you know, you, you soared a productive, uh, how much better of a player he was this year. And I think the, with Lamar Jackson, he's going to be explosive. Like he, he's going to put up monster numbers. So does, I don't think in any way this pick is ever going to look bad. I just think it's one of those things that you can make the case if you're nitpicking to try to find a questionable pick and, as I talked about, you know, the strip as a whole, there wasn't a lot that I really questioned about this. I thought they got great value up and down the line. So I wanted to find something to talk about. I do think they could have made a case where they they would have been just fine even if they didn't have J.K. Dobbins. So if they wanted to use that on a guy that, you know, as we see, running backs seem to get used up. And then, you know, four years later, you know, sometimes five, you know, and then these guys are gone. They could have maybe wanted a different, but I do think he's going to fit in there well and potentially be a star uh, once he gets the the workload uh, to shine. So great draft overall for the Ravens. If I take this to the Cleveland Browns and keep this going at pick 10 overall, they selected uh G jerk Wells jr. Tackle out of Alabama at pick 44 in round two, they took Brent Delpit safety out of LSU in round three, pick 88 overall. They took Jordan Elliott defensive tackle out of Missouri second, third round pick at 97 overall. They took Jacob Phillips linebacker out of LSU in round 40 at 115 overall. They took Harrison Bryant tight end out of Florida Atlantic in round five, 160 overall, they took Nick Harris, center out of Washington. And then in round six, 187 overall, they took Donovan Peoples-Jones, wide receiver out of Michigan. They did a lot of things, the Browns, that I really liked in this. I would say uh, my favorite pick was uh, Jedrick Wills, junior tackle. Uh, they could have taken a more prototypical left tackle. Makai Beckton was there. They could have assumed that. You know, Tristan Wirfs made the transition, but I think Wills was the most, the safest of all the linebackers, of all the offensive tackles. It's a little bit questionable that they are just going to assume he can make the transition over after they sign Jack Conklin. So I do think there is a little bit of questioning this pick, but Wills, the player, I think is good enough to make the transition. He blocked the blind side for Tua at Alabama, so I don't think that's the issue. So I love the player. I love the pick. I'd be interested to see if he can make that transition to the other side. Uh, as smooth as I think they're hoping for. So that was my favorite pick. In terms of value picks, I could have went a lot of different directions on this. I went Jordan Elliott and Nick Harris. I thought Jordan Elliott could have been a round two pick. Uh, so the fact that they got him at pick 88 overall, I thought uh, tremendous, was tremendous value. And then Nick Harris at 160. If he would have went late round three or early round four, I don't think anybody would have been all that surprised. Athletic, you know, not for everybody, but if they're going to run a lot of, you know, zone and get their center on the move, I think Nick Harris 
uh, could really be productive in that type of scheme. So I love the value there. The, the one pick that I would question the most would be the Harrison Bryan pick. I like the player. He was my number two tight end pre-draft in a weak tight end class, you know, as I've talked about, but I just don't really get it. You know, I feel like they could have, they could have, you know, potentially, you know, use that resource better at pick 115 overall. As much as I like the player, they have Austin Hooper. They still got David Njoku. So I was a little surprised that, I mean, even if they, they move on from David Njoku down the line, you know, Austin Hooper just signed a pretty, you know, a high free agent contract that, I'm a little surprised that they brought him in there when they could have went somewhere else. And I could also say value pick. I'm a fan of Donovan Peoples-Jones. I know he didn't put up numbers in college. Uh, I think that was partly a product of Michigan, partly a product of Shea Patterson. So I thought he was going to go round three, round four. So the fact that they got him, you know, in round six, 187 overall also. So I did, I liked a lot of things they did. I mean, even the Harrison Bryant, I liked the player a lot. So I'm just a little nitpicky that maybe, you know, they could have went and, and filled the need a little bit there, but it, it's clear they must have had a pretty high grade on him at, because it wasn't filling the need, but they still saw fit and thought it was good value to take him there. Chris, thoughts on, on what the Browns did? Uh, yeah, if you didn't mention Donald, Donald Peoples-Jones, I was going to really question you because uh, I'm like, hey, what is Paul going to talk about his guy? Uh, but no, I mean, yeah, he was he was a very good value pick. This uh, I'd like to talk about the linemen that we were talking about at first because when you mentioned uh, after I spoke about the Jets, you know, the Tristan Wirfs over Mekhi Becton, that would have been the pick I would have made as well. But if you told me before the draft that the Jets would have ended up with one of the top four offensive tackles, I would have been, you know, pleased with it in terms of what their team needed. The Browns are the same way, but again, I don't think I would have taken Wills over either Becton or worse. Uh, Wills was my number four guy. So I, I don't know that they grabbed the right guy, especially if, you know, they need a true left tackle. Um, you know, he might be the guy that's least likely to actually make that happen. But, you know, in the end, they still got a guy that's really going to help them out. Grant Delpit, I mean, this this is a guy after, you know, his first couple of years in college, people thought he was going to be a top 10 pick. They get him at pick 44, you know, second year in a row, they get a dropping LSU defensive back. So, you know, we'll see if it works out as well for them as it did with Brady Williams. But, you know, there's there's a lot of upside in Delpit at pick 54. And, and just to touch on Harrison Bryant real quick, I mean, yeah, Njoku is probably gone in the near future. And I can understand that tight ends usually take a year or two to develop. So, like, you don't want to rely on a guy like Harrison Bryant right away, but as a number two tight end, you're not relying on him that much. And as you said, Austin Hooper's there for the long haul. So it's even if you look at, oh, well, uh, David Njoku's gone, like, you know, it's kind of a luxury pick to take your future backup tight end, current number three tight end, you know, in, in the top 125. Yeah, I'm right there with you, especially as you put there, put it with uh, Harrison Bryant as well. So let's round out the AFC North with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not a big fan of their draft as a whole. It looks a lot better if you want to count that their first-round pick was traded. Basically, I believe it might have been straight up for Minka Fitzpatrick, who obviously once he got there, you know, he was a superstar and really changed their entire defense uh, and production. So if you if you can't count him as their first-round pick, obviously their draft looks a lot better. But after that, uh, without that first-round pick, at pick 49 overall in round two, they took Chase Claypool, wide receiver out of Notre Dame. In round three, pick 102 overall, they took Alex Highsmith, edge out of Charlotte. In round four, 124 overall, they took Anthony McFarland, running back out of Maryland. Also in round four, pick 135, they took Kevin Dotson, guard out of Louisiana Lafayette. Round six, 198 overall, they took Antoine Brooks Jr., safety out of Maryland. And pick 
232 overall seventh round. They selected Carlos Davis defensive tackle out of Nebraska. My favorite pick hands down is Anthony McFarland, the running back. He was, I believe, number seven on my running back board. I was a big fan of him. I like if you watch his 2018 film, he looks like a top 50, top 75 player. I thought the NFL off of that year would have really looked at him and, and saw Anthony McFarland very similar to what they thought of Darrell Henderson, you know, when he was coming out, you know, not this draft class, but the year before. So I like McFarland. I think he could add a lot of bursts, his speed, burst, acceleration, his big play threat. I think he's a guy who probably, you know, maxes out at around 10 to 12 touches a game, but I like what he could add to that offense. I'm not sure James Conner's there for the long haul. I could see Anthony McFarland being a part of, you know, the running back group for the next four years or so in some type of committee. And I do like his upside there. So that's my favorite pick value picks. I I, I struggled to find any value picks. I would say if I had to, Kevin Dotson could have went a little bit earlier. He was the best player to not get a combine invite in my opinion. So if he would have went late round three or early round four, I would have been okay with it in a little bit of a weak interior offensive line class. And then I thought Antoine Brooks Jr. to safety out of Maryland could have went maybe in round five. So they got a little bit of value on that. Uh, in terms of questionable picks, I would have taken Denzel Mims instead of Chase Claypool, but that that's just, you know, something that, you know, I think they were close, but that's one thing that I would have. And then, you know, Carlos Davis, for many people, I, it's a seventh-round pick, so it's hard really to question it, and he does have some athletic upside. He was a guy that a lot of people I did think uh, thought could potentially be a UDFA, so maybe that was a little bit questionable. But like I said, seventh-round picks, athletic guy for a defensive tackle, uh, so not something that I can really knock too much on. I just thought it was a, a very ho-hum draft for them. I wasn't a huge fan of a lot of what they did. I didn't question a lot, but I just didn't really like how it all kind of fit together in terms of, the, you know, the total package of it. Thoughts on what, on the Steelers, Chris? Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned Carlos Davis. We had him on our show last summer, too. I mean, he's a track and field discus guy, like, you know, him and his brother, just freak athletes. So, yeah, I mean, you're taking day three shots on athleticism. You know, obviously he was kind of bounced around in a lot of different spots, on the Nebraska line, never really found a true home, but, but the Steelers are going to say, hey, we're going to try to you know mold this piece of clay. Antoine Brooks is the opposite, just a really good football player, not a great athlete, but you know, you're getting you know good picks on your last two. Uh, McFarland was a good pick. I think a big reason he might have fallen, um, you know, you mentioned the 2018 film. A lot of NFL teams, well, you know, 2019, yeah, he was hobbled, he had some injury issues, but at the same time, it's the running back position, and he's not, I'm not saying he's small because he's about 208 pounds. That's not small, but He's not really the size that you want in a guy like that. And, and, you know, maybe the league was just like, well, you know what? It was a bad year, but it was poorly timed because, you know, now he's kind of got some nagging injuries and, and stuff like that that just, you know, kind of lower his value. I wanted, The one guy you didn't point out was Alex Highsmith out of Charlotte. Um, you know, I thought he was just going to be a third-day steal for somebody as a guy who could legitimately rush the edge. You know, and like I said with Jabari Zuniga, you don't really find those guys on the third day too often. Uh, but Alex Highsmith ends up being a third-round pick, which I thought was, you know, good value for him. I, I commend the Steelers for making that pick because I, I feel like a lot of people were looking at him, you know, on the third day. And, you know, they decide, hey, you know what, this guy can help us off the edge. We're going to take him in the third round. Yeah, I actually, I think Highsmith could be the guy that, you know, 
Uh, I got excited about McFarlane because he's been a guy I've been hyping up, but I actually think Highsmith could end up having the most impact on that team. So I'm glad you brought him up and, and went into a little detail on him. And I think you're right. I think most people thought he was probably going to be a day three guy. And he was a lot of, he was mentioned a lot as, you know, day three guys that, you know, are intriguing. And then he snuck in there at the back end of round three and he could end up being the one that develops and has the best upside of anybody that the Steelers uh, selected in this draft. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him. So there's the AFC North guys, two divisions down, two more to go. Chris, why don't you take it right to the AFC South and kick it off? Absolutely. And then we'll kick off with the Houston Texans who, uh, this, this should be quick because, uh, they didn't have their first <laughs> round pick <laughs> thanks to last year's Laramie Tunzel trade. Um, you know, they picked up a second round pick, uh, you know, in that David Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins trade that we won't discuss in too much detail because it was kind of absurd. Um, but they drafted Russ Blacklock, defensive tackle out of TCU with that pick. Um, Jonathan Grenard in the third round to pick 90, Ed Rutcher out of Florida, Jabari Zanigas teammate. Two fourth-round picks, they got UNC tackles Charlie Heck and Penn State corner John Reed. And then in the fifth round, they went with Rhode Island wide receiver Isaiah Coulter. My favorite pick here, again, has to be the first guy. I mean, Ross Blacklock, you know, he, before he did what he did at the Combine, um, you know, he was considered a guy that was rising up boards, and he's just going to bring athleticism to the middle of that defensive line. And, you know, interior disruption is, is one of the more important ways to get pressure on a quarterback. Everyone's looking for edge rusher as well. You know, let's find a guy who can get it from the inside, too four quarterbacks off their spots. That draws Blacklock. He can contribute against the run as well. So I thought that was just a good value pick and, and filled a need and was really going to help their defense. I didn't love a lot of the value in their draft. I guess Jonathan Bernard would be the best guy. Again, you know, I've said it several times. I'm going to really get sick of hearing it myself. But if you find a guy who can rush the edge, you don't want to really let them fall into day three. Now, Bernard's not the greatest athlete, but he's very technically proficient and he was very productive at Florida. So, you know, while he might max out as like a sub package rusher, that still has a lot of value at the end of the third round. I didn't love the Charlie Heck pick in round four, round four, just better tackles on the board. Uh, he wasn't a great athlete, you know, struggled at times to get to the edge. Um, you know, I, I know they're not going to look at him as a left tackle. You know, they might bump him inside the guard, but I just, I just thought there were better options in the offensive line in that general area of the draft. I do like the Isaiah Coulter pick uh, out of Rhode Island. Like he's a big guy. He was productive. You know, he, he was not as productive as his teammate Aaron Parker, but he's the better NFL prospect just because he's a better athlete um, and, and has better size than Parker. So, you know, he's a guy that he's very intriguing. You know, I'd, I'd be interested to see what Houston does with him at the, the back end of the depth chart um, because, you know, he's big. He can win in contested spots and he's also got some athletic ability to him. Yeah, we saw these, this team very similarly. I like their first pick in Blacklock, penetrating Paritech, who can get after the quarterback. And I like their last pick, Isaiah Coulter. He's been a guy that, when I've been talking about some sleepers and in, in for dynasty rookie drafts in terms of fantasy, you know, way down the board, I've been mentioning Coulter because I do think they're, you know, I don't think Randall Cobb is ever going to be what he once was. Will Fuller gets hurt all the time. You know, so, you know, Kenny Stills, I think, is an average receiver. So Coulter is a guy that could get a shot there with DeAndre Hopkins not there. So I like their first pick they had in round two. I like their last pick there in Coulter. I agree with what you said about Heck. Uh, I think they could have went better route there. Uh, and then Grenard's okay. You know, I understand they're a productive player in college. We'll see how it translates. And I think same thing about John Reed. I think he was an okay pick there. But I agree very much with how you laid out the Texans. Absolutely. And we'll move on to the Colts now. And, you know, the Colts got a couple of skill guys in the second round. Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC, the wide receiver, and Jonathan Taylor running back out of Wisconsin. In round three, Utah safety Julian Blackman was the selection. Jacob Eason, 
Washington quarterback was the pick in round four. Danny Pinter, offensive lineman out of Ball State in round five at number 149. Then the Colts had four picks in the sixth round. Penn State defensive tackle Robert Windsor, UMass corner Isaiah Rogers, Washington State wide receiver Desmond Patman, and Michigan safety linebacker, special team, or whatever you want to call him, Jordan Glasgow. Uh, my favorite pick here is Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, he was my number one running back heading into the draft. Um, just what he did in terms of production. I know there's a lot of wear on the tires, but you know, what he did in terms of production and the improvement he showed as a receiver. I mean, this guy went from not being able to catch cold as a freshman to his senior season. He's making back shoulder catches in the front corner of the end zone by the pylon for touchdowns. I mean, the the growth that he showed, and I think the growth that he can continue to show as a receiver, is just going to make him a weapon at the NFL level. Obviously, everyone knows about the speed. Maybe it's not turn the corner speed, but it's long speed where you get to the second level and you are gone. Um, so he has that big play potential, and, and he, again, has just shown so much improvement as a receiver. I think there is still room for him to grow. He's never going to be the most natural guy, but you know, I think I'm okay with that based on everything else he brings to the game. Uh, the best value pick, I don't love a ton of value for the Colts here. I'm going to go with Robert Windsor out of Penn State. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that probably should have gone maybe in the fifth round just based on his athletic ability and, again, penetrating uh, three-technique type of guy You know, who's going to disrupt things on the interior. I think that has more value for what Windsor is going to be able to provide than the 193rd pick in the draft. I thought Julian Blackman went a little bit early. I like the player, but again, I like him as more of a, he's a good football player. I want him on my team, but I want him on my team as a third day pick. I don't think taking him at number 85 is the best way to get value. Um, but, you know, again, he's a good football player and the Colts have really done a great job in the draft the last few years. So it's really hard to disagree too much with everything they did. I haven't mentioned Michael Pittman yet, and that's a shame because you know, this is a guy who just took this college football season and made it his, just continued to rise up draft boards and, and really you know, proved himself to be a top-tier receiver in this class. You know, he's not an elite athlete, but he doesn't have to be with the size he has. You know, he does enough with the ball in his hands. He can make contested plays. He can win down the field. He can get behind players. I mean, you know, we said Denzel Mims can be the complete package. I mean, Michael Pittman isn't quite the athlete Mims is, but he's probably a better football player right now. Yeah, I love that you brought up Michael Pittman there towards the end of you breaking down their draft because I do think he's a more athletic version of, uh, you know, Michael Williams. I mean, of Mike Williams that Philip Rivers has thrown the football to, you know, last year with the Chargers. And, you know, Williams won the top 10 of that draft class, you know, and I think Pittman, you know, really can be a complete receiver. And in a different year where there wasn't so much wide receiver talent, I think Pittman's a first round wide receiver. I mean, he basically almost Snuck in there now, you know, second pick of round two, you know, you know, this shows you the depth of this class at the top, you know, with Higgins and him, the first two picks in the second round. So I really like Michael Pittman. I think that I think he's got an opportunity to really develop to their number one wide receiver. Sounds like they're going to put him right in at the X position right from the get go, uh, you know, and he's going to get every opportunity to be very much a part, you know, of their starting lineup right out of the gate. So I like that a lot. You talked about Jonathan Taylor, you know, behind that off offensive line again whether I think it's too early or not for running backs especially ones that I don't think are going to impact much in the passing game I mean the schematic fit you talked about it before with J.K. Dobbins and Baltimore same thing here the Colts power running you know offensive line with Jonathan Taylor creating the holes my one concern about Jonathan Taylor was if he ended up on a bad offensive line he, I didn't think he was a guy who can make people miss in the backfield. And, you know, if he wasn't playing with a good offensive line, which 
is all we really saw him at at Wisconsin. And then he goes to this, the perfect situation. Be interesting to see if Easton can develop there as their fourth round pick. I like Danny Pinter and the the upside there as a developmental offensive lineman. And you touched upon Windsor before. So there was a lot of things that they did do that I liked. And I agree with you. I thought it was a little bit of a reach on, on, on Julian Blackman uh, as well. And their last couple of guys were, you know, low level guys that, you know, might make a taxi squad or they, you know, special teams, you know, or something they soared at. They weren't guys that I was too familiar with besides Desmond uh, uh, Patman, the wide receiver out of Washington State. So all in all, that was a pretty strong draft class. Really great if you considered as far as Buckner was their first round pick. That was a straight trade, you know, of their 13th selection. Uh, if that, you know, is tied into anybody in terms of their overall grade. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins couldn't have landed. If you, you know, handpicked the team that they would go to and said, what's the best fit? I think you would have gotten Indianapolis and Baltimore. So just, you know, great, great landing spots for those two. Uh, we're going to move to Jacksonville, which a lot of people aren't viewing as a great landing spot for anybody these days. They did have a lot of picks in this draft, though. Two first rounders, Florida corner C.J. Henderson and LSU edge rusher Caleb Chason. They went with Colorado receiver LaVisca Chenault. In the second round, Ohio State defensive tackle Davon Hamilton in the third. St. John's, Minnesota offensive tackle Ben Barge and Michigan State cornerback Josiah Scott. Early in round four, Shaq Quarterman, a couple of picks later, linebacker out of Miami. Two picks in the fifth round, they got Auburn safety Daniel Thomas and Texas wide receiver Colin Johnson. In the sixth round, Oregon State quarterback Jake Luton and Georgia Tech tight end Tyler Davis. And then Memphis quarterback Chris Claybrooks in the seventh round. My favorite pick here. Um, it says a lot about what I think of their draft as a whole. I mean, I, I love C.J. Henderson at the top. Um, you know, my favorite pick is actually Ben Barch, but, you know, C.J. Henderson was the number two corner in this class. Uh, you know, people have some questions about him, but just the ability to cover in man like he's able to do is going to have a lot of value at the NFL level. So that, that was a necessary pick for a team that needed cornerbacks in the worst way. Um, but my favorite pick is Ben Barch, um, you know, in terms of just being a value pick and in terms of just a guy that, you know, again, Went to Mobile, showed that he belonged with the level of competition. I mean, Kyle Duger was a second-round pick. Jeremy Chin was a third-round pick. So some of these guys that went to the Senior Bowl from small schools really solidified the fact that they deserved to be there. I thought Ben Barch could have gone even earlier than the fourth round. Um, You know, he went like 10 picks into the round, too. So I I think he was more of a late three, early four type of guy. So I I love that pick. I think there's so much upside in a guy like Ben Barch. And, you know, he's a good player right now, too. Um, I also like the value they got on Colin Johnson. Uh, You don't find that level of ball skills in the fifth round very often. I know his athleticism isn't the best. Um, You know, people have some concerns. Devin Duvernay kind of took over that receiving corpse this year. But, I mean, to get a guy that can make the plays that Colin Johnson can make at the catch point along the sidelines in the end zone at the end of the fifth round, even if he's just a specific role player, you know, that's a really good spot for Colin Johnson. As far as questionable picks, I'll go with Shaq Quarterman in the fourth round. Um, you know, another guy, solid football player, probably worthy of a day three pick, but more of like a mid to late day three pick, round five, round six. Um, you know, productive player, but just wasn't not not the best athlete. He's not a guy that I think is going to cover a lot of ground at the NFL level. Um, and I, I just don't see him as a future starter. There's there's a high floor there as a special teamer, but you can get guys like that in the fifth and sixth round and also have them round out your two deep on the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, Jacksonville – I don't mind what they did at the top. You know, you talked about Henderson, uh, Kayvon Chasen, you know, LaVisca Chenault. I like where they went with their first three picks. You know, I, you know, would have maybe thought about being aggressive and moving up to go after a guy like Tua. I know the Lions and the Giants were both looking to move back. 
I am not on the Gardner Minshew bandwagon. I think he was a nice story for a six-round pick. I think this year, you know, they'll realize that he's not the long-term answer. So maybe they're in, you know, the Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields mix next year. So I would have liked to see them be a little bit aggressive and maybe go get to us since there were teams looking to move back. And I like the chase on pick, you know, he's going to probably replace Yannick once they deal with that situation. And I think Chenault, if Chenault, you know, doesn't run at the combine, you know, I don't know, maybe he's a little bit further up there. If he doesn't run that poor time when he was hurt at the combine, I could have seen him. I like Chenault a lot in, but they got to know how to maximize his skill set very much like a Debo Samuel style player. If he's utilized like that early in his career, I think he could be a nice addition. You know, DJ Shark is that vertical threat you gotta send shark running those vertical threats and you should underneath in in a variety of ways until the rest of his wide receiver game kind of rounds out its, its form because i do think he can win at all three levels of the field he's just not as consistent yet in in the, all those you know facets of receiving and i love that you brought up ben barch that that was really good value for him if he would have went early third round i would have been okay with it uh, the fact that they got him, you know, 116 overall, I thought was good. And Josiah Scott, if he would have won the third round as one of the bets, better slot cornerbacks in this draft, I think that would have been okay as well. I agree with you, Shaq Quarterman, in, in round four. I thought it was a little early. Uh, Jake Luton, a nice developmental, you know, quarterback. They went back to the well in round six. I guess, you know, keep taking one if you don't have the clear-cut guy and, and hope that you strike uh, gold a little bit there. Uh, I like Luton. I thought he was one of the better third-day quarterbacks in this draft class. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if Minshew does struggle at all. Does Luton get an opportunity at all as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Josiah Scott because the one thing he doesn't have is height. He has everything else. So, you know, you want to put a guy in the slot and use a fourth-round pick on him, I, I think that's that's pretty good value too. You pair him with C.J. Henderson and, and he might have just solved two of your top three corner positions for, you know, the next four to five years. Uh, we'll move on to Tennessee here, final team in the division. And they started their draft with Jack Conklin's replacement, Georgia tackle Isaiah Wilson at the top. LSU cornerback Christian Fulton was their second-round pick at number 61. App State running back Darrington Evans in the third round at number 93. Darrell Murchison, defensive tackle out of NC State at 174 in round five. And then two seventh-round picks, Hawaii quarterback Cole McDonald and Marshall defensive back Chris Jackson. My favorite pick here. Christian Fulton, um, you know, him falling to pick 61 seems a little bit late for me. Same thing with Trayvon Dix and the Cowboys at, at pick 50. I mean, I think these guys were legitimate top 45, top 50 options at worst to get a guy that was as good as Fulton. I mean, he was overshadowed this year by Derek Stingley, who's going to be a very high pick in two years. But Christian Fulton's still a really good football player, still a guy that you don't necessarily want to throw the football towards too often because he will make you pay. He will break up some passes. Um, just, just an overall excellent pick. For Tennessee, really solidifying at the corner spot. You know, Isaiah Wilson was a good pick too. You know, he's going to just really slide right into that Jack Conklin role as a run blocking, road grading type of type of right tackle. I, I didn't really love much of the value though outside of Christian Fulton in this draft. I mean, everyone kind of went where they should have. Darrington Evans, you know, probably went about where he should have. Lorel Murchison, I like him as a player. I think he's a decent player, but I think the fifth round was was pretty right for him. And, you know, there also really weren't too many questionable picks. I don't look at, you know, seventh round picks with, you know, a raised eyebrow. I don't look at Murchison or Evans or either the first two picks that way. And they just, in the end, didn't have enough picks to, I guess, provide too much superfluous value or uh, questionable. It's kind of the definition of just an average draft. Yeah, I mean, 
the Isaiah Wilson pick was almost, you almost sort of writing on the wall with that. Like, you know, that seemed, there was a lot of buzz that he was going to go in round one when for a while most people thought he was going to be more of a day two pick. And it just made sense that they were going to be looking to replace Jack Conklin with a guy like Isaiah Wilson, you know, really good, you know, run, uh, run blocking, you know, right tackle. It, it just made some sense there. But yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you hit it. You know, the Christian Fulton was a really good value pick. I like Darrington Evans, but I think he, again, I think he would have been nicer of a pick on day three. They didn't have a round four pick, so they maybe reached a tad early on him. But a lot of rumors were that he was going to go in round three. Uh, but yeah, I mean, besides the Christian Fulton pick, you know, and, and they're hoping that Isaiah Wilson could, you know, be similar to, you know, Jack Conklin. Not a lot to get too excited about in this draft class. A pretty ho hum uh, draft, and you know, probably in terms of upgrading their roster the most, they probably I, they didn't. I don't see a lot on here that upgrades their roster. You know, Wilson replaces Conklin. They upgrade the cornerback position with Fulton, but that's about it. I don't see a lot of other contributors. You know, Darrington Evans in 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 a small role, I'm sure. Uh, as a change of pace guy, he could potentially make a few plays here or there, or maybe impact in the special teams game. So, you know, one of the one of the drafts probably I was least excited about uh, was the Titans. So let's uh, let's take this right over to the AFC West to round out this team by team AFC recaps. I'm going to start out with the Denver Broncos and actually go in alphabetical order this time. Uh, round one, pick 15 overall, they selected Jerry Judy, wide receiver out of Alabama. Round two, they come right back to the wide receiver well. Pick 46 overall, take K.J. Hamler out of Penn State. Uh, in round three, number 77 overall, they take the cornerback out of Iowa, Michael Ojamudia. In round three, pick 80 for Rita, took Lloyd Cushenberry, center out of LSU. Also in round three, pick 95 overall, they took McTelvin again, defensive tackle out of Arkansas. In round four, pick 118, they take Albert Okawebenam, tight end out of Missouri. Round five, 178, they took Justin Stranad, linebacker out of Wake Forest. Round six, 181, they took Natane Muti, guard out of Fresno State. Round seven, pick 38. 252 overall, they take Tyree Cleveland, wide receiver out of Florida. And then round seven, 254 overall, they take Derek Tuska, edge out of North Dakota State. For my favorite picks, I'm going to say the top two, Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. I think you could also put Jerry Judy in terms of the value. They didn't have to move up. There was a lot of talk that the Broncos thought, you know, maybe we're going to have to move into that 9, 10, 11 area if they wanted to select Jerry Judy. They got him where they was. He was my number one wide receiver. I don't think anybody's as pro ready as him. One of the best route runners I've ever seen you know, since I've been evaluating prospects from the, the college game into the NFL. I love that they double dipped, even though they already had Cortland Sutton on the roster. KJ Hamler adds an explosiveness. If he would have been healthy and tested at the combine and ran a, you know, a four, two, eight or something, I don't think he would have even been there at pick 46 overall. I think him being injured in the pre-draft process is, is what allowed them to be able to get Hamler where they got him. I know, you know, the size is a little bit of an issue. He's got, he had some drops that he's got to clean up, but the tactical value he's going to bring and no one's going to be able to double team him with Judy and Sutton on that. So the, the combination of all three of those together get me really excited. 
uh, you know, in terms of what that Bronco offense could be. And, and Drew Locke doesn't have any excuses. He's going to have every weapon at his disposal now. Uh, other value picks, if Lloyd Cushenberry would have went early to mid-second round, I would have been okay with it. So the fact that they got him at 83 overall, I thought it was good value. And then uh, Nathane Moody, the, the offensive lineman out of Fresno State, I mean, he went to the sixth round because of injury concerns. If he's healthy, he's a, he's a round three, round four pick. So I like that value. Questionable picks, it, it's Ogilvyvenham. You know, I understand the athleticism, his ability to attack the scene, but that's what they got Noah Fan for. So kind of like what you were saying before about Harrison Bryant, you know, like, is it really the best resources to take, you know, at best with your round four pick, a guy who's going to be a number two tight end? And I don't envision a lot of two tight end sets when you just invested in those two wide receivers in round one and round two, and you have Portland Sutton. So I just don't understand the Ogilvyvenham. I thought they really could have used some offensive tackle help, and there were some interesting names there in round four that they could have selected instead of Ogilvyvenham. Chris, thoughts on the Broncos and what they did? I'll start with Albert O here because I, I mean I thought that was a great value pick in terms of like I think he should have been a third round pick um, and he does have that chemistry with Drew, Drew Locke being former college teammates uh, so that's kind of an interesting twist on that but you're right they can't play Noah Fant, Albert O, KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton on the field at the same time unless they go empty which hey maybe they're considering doing that but considering the state of their offensive line I'm not sure that's a great idea and that's kind of you know, my major issue with the Broncos draft is, yeah, they loaded up with Jerry Judy. They loaded up with KJ Hamler and, and Albert Okwebenam, um, you know, three guys who can never see the field all at once, but they didn't add any offensive linemen. You know, they gave Drew Locke weapons, but how's he going to have time to throw to see a lot of these weapons? I mean, Garrett Bowles is their left tackle. He just had his fifth year option declined and he's on his way out. Um, you know, Elijah Wilkinson, Juwan James, like those are their next best offensive lineman, Graham Glasgow is decent. And they got Dalton Reisner last year, but I, I just, I think they should have made an addition on the offensive line rather than taking whether, I mean, I like the KJ Hamler pick and I agree with you as far as, you know, if you were able to test, I think people would have been paying a bit more attention to him. Um, you know, maybe it goes a few picks higher, but you had an offensive line need and you take KJ Hamler who, uh, you know, is going to give you an explosive option, but you know, Jerry Judy kind of gives you that too, even though he's not a true burner, he can get down the field. Um, so it's not quite an overlapping skill set, but obviously Okwebe and I'm a Noah fan are overlapping skill sets. Um, and, and you shoot an offensive lineman for pretty much your fifth, you know, offensive pass catching option outside of your running backs. Um, and, you know, and now they have Melvin Gordon there and Philip Lindsay who can both catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield. So, you know, I don't, I don't love the uses, usage of resources there necessarily, even if I like the players, um, you know, Justin Stranata out of Wake Forest, I thought he was a very good pick in the fifth round, just an athletic linebacker who makes plays all around the field, um, you know, has the upside to be a starter. And, you know, in which case he was probably worth a late second day pick, early third day pick. But even if he just acts out as a special teamer, again, you're outside of the top 175. So I'm more okay with a pick there than, say, Shaq Quarterman 40 picks sooner. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that as well. So let's transition this to the Kansas City Chiefs uh, at Pick 32 overall in round one, they took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, running back out of LSU. In round two, pick 63 overall, they selected Willie Gay Jr., linebacker out of Mississippi State. In round three, pick 96 overall, they took Louis uh, Niang, tight uh, tackle out of TCU. In round four, 138 overall, they took Legereus Sneed, safety cornerback out of Louisiana Tech. 
In round five, 177 overall, they took Michael Dana, Edge out of Michigan. And in round seven, 237, they took Bopit Kiez, cornerback out of Tulane. My favorite pick was Willie Gay Jr. If he would have went the top of the second round, I would have had no complaints about it. The athleticism, uh, the coverability, you know, I know, you know, he had some issues. Uh, but if all that stuff's behind him, I thought that was a tremendous uh, pick there. So, I mean, he could have even, you know, been under the value pick as well, but I put him under my favorite pick. Uh, in terms of my value pick, I mentioned uh, Lucas Young, the, the tackle out of TCU. If he would have went early round three, I would have been okay with it. So they got him at the end of round three without having to move up. Uh, the questionable pick, this kind of ties into the, the Baltimore conversation earlier with J.K. Dobbins. I am a big Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fan. I, I really am. He he fits perfectly. The Brian Westbrook comps or the Ray Rice comps, I think they are all apt comparisons. I think he's absolutely going to be a stud in that offense. I question it, though, as, you know, Damian Williams could have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. Did they really need to invest a first-round pick in a running back? Because they do have some other holes, especially on the defensive side. I think they could have won a cornerback there. You know, there were a lot of good ones still on the board, whether it was Christian Fulton, you know, Trayvon Diggs, you know, you know, the list goes on that all the cornerbacks that I think might have been more value to them and filled a bigger need for them than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. As great as he is and as good as he's going to look in that offense – I think they could have went a different direction uh, and would have been, you know, as a as a complete team, they would have been better off in that regards as much as I do like the player again. I mean, welcome to the 2020, uh, you know, NFL running back landscape where even if you have a decent option on your roster, you know, you're always looking for the next best thing because, you know, these guys aren't getting second contracts. And if they are, they're just wildly undervalued in terms of what they bring to the game. I mean, you know, for a passing team, you bring in a guy who had over 50 catches last year who's insanely smooth as a receiver. I mean, you know, the question, just like with you know, Baltimore and Indy, I don't think it's quite as perfect of a fit as those two are, but it's about as close as you're going to get. I mean, Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to eat in that offense, but Kansas City, especially on defense, like you said, has a lot of other holes. I did like that they addressed it with Willie Gay in the second round. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of the character concerns a little bit. Apparently, NFL teams were over that. They just did not really care to you know for lack of a better word they did not care about that whole situation um you know whether it was interviews with him or talking to people around the university or whatever it was everybody seemed pretty comfortable with the willie gay situation which is why he ended up going in the second round because you know that's kind of late two early three is where his talent kind of belies i mean lucas lucas yang there is a lot of upside there obviously there's a lot of injury concern too but if he can stay healthy i mean this is a guy you know, we talked about Robert Hunt maybe going a little bit early to Miami. I mean, Lucas Yang, if he's healthy, is taken in that draft range, and they got him 50 picks later. So that was that was good work by Kansas City. Legarius Sneed is versatile. He's not probably not going to be a safety at the NFL level, but he showed that he can do that. Um, you know, you can use him in the slot. You can just put him many different places in the secondary, and he's a guy who could potentially patch a lot of holes in different packages as just one player. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, it's something that the, the Chiefs flaws that they have or the holes are constantly going to be covered up by Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, like I feel like, you know, but I do feel like they left a little bit on the table there that they that they could have found some areas to upgrade. But like you said, it, it was a weird year. I mean, Marlon Mack was a pretty good running back. They take Jonathan Taylor to Colts. You know, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, pretty good. 
They take, you know, Baltimore takes J.K. Dobbins, you know, Kansas City Chiefs, Damian Williams could have been the, you know, MVP of the Super Bowl. They take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, DeAndre Swift, you know, in Detroit. They had on Johnson. So it was a weird – and you kind of knew this was going to happen, though, when we went into the, the draft because there wasn't a lot of openings for running backs. I thought the Dolphins and the Falcons were going to be pegged as two teams to take running backs early, and they didn't. So it, it just makes sense that I guess we're kind of in this situation now with a lot of these dual committees and teams taking running backs that maybe we didn't have it as a super pressing need. So it's interesting to kind of follow suit and see how this plays out. Let's take this to the Las Vegas Raiders uh, in terms of their draft class. At pick 12 overall, round one, they take, select Henry Ruggs, wide receiver out of Alabama. Round one, second round one pick. Pick 19 overall, they take Damon Arnett, cornerback out of Ohio State. In round three, pick 80 overall, they take Lynn Bowden, wide receiver out of Kentucky. Round three, they also take uh, at pick 81 overall, Brian Edwards, wide receiver out of South Carolina. And then there's another third round pick, pick 100 overall, they select Tanner Muse, safety out of Clemson. In round four, pick 109 overall, they take John Simpson, guard out of Clemson. And then in round four, uh, round four they take Amik Robertson at 139, cornerback out of Louisiana Tech. So wasn't a huge fan overall of what the Raiders did, to be honest with you. My favorite pick was probably the Brian Edwards selection. I've been a fan of him uh, for a couple years now. I thought the third round was the right range for Brian Edwards. Uh, if he would have went a little bit earlier, I wouldn't have been stunned, but I thought that was the right range for him. I think he can develop into, you know, a starting wide receiver there for them uh, for the long haul. So I like that pick a lot. I do like the Lynn Bowden pick a little bit too. It sounds like they're going to use him as a running back. I think I said wide receiver. Uh, he's an offensive weapon, could do a lot of different things. He could add a, you know, a dynamic piece to that offense to do a lot of different things with. So I like, I like those two picks. The value is in John Simpson. I thought if he would have, I thought he was the best offensive guard in the class. If you count hunt as a uh, tackle, uh, I was surprised to see him fall to round four, but I think it speaks what we said before about the interior offensive line class, which is down in general and each, you know, teams had it rated a little bit differently. But overall, I questioned a couple things. First thing, I like Henry Ruggs, the player, and he's somewhere on that spectrum of Deshaun Jackson, Will Fuller, and the dream for them being, you know, Tyree Kill in terms of his impact. But taking him over Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb, I can't fully support that. And when you pair him with, and I know this isn't for the long haul, probably, but Derek Carr's skill set doesn't really take advantage of Henry Ruggs' best calling car, which is his vertical speed and his ability to get deep. I think Ruggs can do a lot of damage on short stuff after the catch also, but unless Derek Carr changes his philosophy and he starts willing to throw it more vertically down the field, I think you're hamstringing the guy you just took at 12th overall, and Judy and Lamb would have been better schematically with Derek Carr. So I don't, I question that. The Damon Arnett pick, I, I very much question. If he would have went round two somewhere, I would have gotten it, you know, early to mid round two. I don't, I, I would have thought that would have been better, better area for him to go. But for him to go where he did over Gladney, Fulton, you know, and the other guys that went at late round one and early round two, I guess it, I question that about it. I just don't see 
the upside with Arnett, his 40 time, you know, is not what I would want it to be for a first round uh, cornerback. And then Tanner Muse, safety linebacker. I don't know what the plans are yet for him, but I thought he's more of a core special teams guy, sub package player. I didn't see a guy that warranted being selected, you know, at top, top 100 pick. So I had some questions on a handful of their picks as a whole. A lot of people didn't see Tanner Muse as a top 100 pick until he went and he ran a 4-4-2 at the Combine. And then people were like, whoa, he's not like a 4-6 guy or a 4-7 guy, which is what everybody thought. Um, so, I mean, that really boosted his value. I um, mean, yeah, I don't hate that pick too much. I, I don't like the Arnett pick. I mean, he went about 30 picks too soon in my book. I mean, yeah, I mean give me Christian Fulton over him. Give me Trayvon Diggs over him. Some guys that went late in the second round. I, that that was a shocking pick to me. You know, as the number four corner off the board, I thought there were so many better guys. Um, you, you really, you discussed it. You nailed it with Henry Ruggs in a lot of ways. Um, I, I wasn't actually as high on Henry Ruggs as a lot of people. Um, I just don't see the complete game, which kind of goes to your issue with the pick here is he's going to have to make his living a little bit more in the intermediate field. He's going to have to catch some short passes, do some run after catch things. And I just, that's not his strength to me. He, he needs a lot of refinement in those areas. Um, so to take him over a guy like Jerry Judy, over a guy like CD lab, um, you know, guys that win in the areas that, helps the Raiders a little bit more based on their current team and also based on their team in the future. Like you need a deep threat eventually, but you know, you can get them later on. So I, I didn't like the rugs pick there. I did like the Brian Edwards pick. You know, he's a guy that, you know, I wanted the Jets to take in the third round. I thought he went, as you said, kind of exactly where he should have gone. John Simpson, excellent value in the fourth round as, as kind of a baller, you know, just like you said, my top guard in the class. Um, I, I like Dominic Robertson. Um, he's a guy who's getting some third round buzz before the week or two leading up to the draft. And, you know, he's a little bit small. The size isn't really there. Um, but, you know, as we mentioned it with a guy like Josiah Scott, like you could stick him in the slot. And if you get a productive playmaking cornerback with ball skills that can play the slot, even if he is a little smaller, well, you know, newsflash, so are a lot of slot receivers and anybody who's running a big slot out there against Oakland. Well, Robertson is not going to end up covering that tight end or that wide receiver anyway. So, you know, for me, I really like the last couple picks. I, I really like three of the last four picks the Raiders made. I don't have a problem with the Muse pick. Uh, I do question the first two. And, you know, Bowden, as you said, just, you know, a good versatile chess piece. He's going to be, uh, you know, a little bit better than Jalen Richard at stealing catches from Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I, I think he'll compliment you know, what they want and add a little bit more explosiveness as a pass catching back and the guy offensive weapon that can be used in a variety of ways. Uh, I think you made some really good points there about some of their later round picks there, you know, not even really later round, just their last few picks. They didn't really have any picks later in the draft there. Uh, but it's going to be interesting how Arnett pans out and, you know, how Henry Ruggs pans out relative to Judy and Lamb is going to go a lot in dictating this draft class. You know, and it's clear that Gruden and Mayock, you know, are doing things a little bit different than maybe what the consensus is. I mean, last year with, you know, Clayland Farrell at, at pick four over Josh Allen, you know, these moves are either going to look like genius or they're going to be, you know, it's going to lead to them getting fired at some point down the line because they passed on Josh Allen last year. They passed on Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb this year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, and they pass on a lot of good corners there to take Damon Arnett. So if they end up on all three of them making the wrong selection last year's first round pick, and then, you know, he, he, there was a couple other first rounders last year too. So, I mean, if those picks don't pan out and then these two don't pan out in the first round relative to the other players that were taken near them, 
uh, I think they're going to have a lot of questions and you wonder how long, you know, even though Gruden has that long contract, you wonder how long he's there or how long Mayek's there or if they mix it up a little bit in a year or two if things don't turn around there. So let's close this out with the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, they had picked six overall. They selected a quarterback out of Oregon, Justin Herbert. Then they traded their second and third round picks to come back into the first round. And at pick 23, they selected Kenneth Murray, the linebacker out of Oklahoma. In the fourth round, 112 overall, they take Joshua Kelly, running back out of UCLA. In round five, they selected Joe Reed, wide receiver slash offensive weapon slash returner out of Virginia. In round six, uh, they selected Alohi Gilman, safety out of Notre Dame. And then in round seven, they selected KJ Hill, wide receiver out of Ohio State. My favorite pick, I would say, is Kenneth Murray, but I don't love the value that they paid to come up. So it's one of those things, again, that the player I like a lot, and, and I do really like Murray, and I think he could finally add some stability uh, to that middle linebacker corps where they feel like they've been moving a lot of pieces in and out and, and changing it. I think he can be a big-time tackle producer as their middle linebacker there, surrounded by a lot of talent on that defensive side. Uh, so he'd be my favorite pick. I thought they got good value uh, uh, or appropriate value, I should say, on Joshua Kelly. But based on how many running backs got pushed up earlier than expected, uh, I, thought, I thought them getting Joshua Kelly at pick 112 overall was solid value. I think he could work his way into a part of a committee there with uh, Austin Eckler. I also like the value that they got on KJ Hill. If KJ Hill would have went round four, round five, I would have, I would have, would not have blinked an eye. I thought in the, what I watched of practices of the senior bowl and from reading all, all the reports down there is that he was very much uncoverable. And I thought he was a guy that really good route runner, quicker than fast. If he would, like I said, went round four, round five, I would have thought that would have been appropriate value for him. So for them to get him in round seven, uh, really like that. The questionable picks, I already talked about I did question a little bit the trade-up for Kenneth Murray, but you got to start at the top with, with Justin Herbert. And here's where I question it. It's not them selecting Justin Herbert because, you know, they see there's a lot of tools to work with in Justin Herbert, just like there was tools with Josh Allen, just like there was tools in Daniel Jones. And I think both the Bills and the Giants are happy uh, with making those selections. But from the way I look at it as, and I mentioned it already once with the Jaguars, there were teams that were dying to move back. The Giants and the Lions wanted to move back. I don't think it would have taken a lot. Basically, they one third round pick, and I think either one of those teams may have moved back, knowing that they were going to get their guy. So basically, that third round pick they had to use to move up to get Kenneth Murray, I think they could have used that, and they could have got in position to take Tua. And I see such a big difference, you know, in terms of evaluations of Tua and Herbert, that that's the one thing I question. Like they must have had it much closer, or they must have preferred Herbert to Tua because clearly it doesn't sound like there was much trade movement to try to move up and and jump the Dolphins uh, to go get Tua. That would have been what I would have strongly done. So that's the one thing I question. It's not that I question them taking Herbert. It's I question them having him as close to two as it, it apparently they did. And maybe they were scared off by two as medicals. But I do think there's a pretty big gap in terms of the evaluation I had on Tua and the evaluation I had on Justin Herbert. Chris, any thoughts on the Herbert situation that I brought up there? Anything else you want to talk about the Chargers? 
we're pretty much in lockstep on Herbert. I mean, to me, he's he's more Jordan Love than he is to attack a low. And I'm not talking stylistically. I'm just talking in terms of like where they sit on my board and the grades that I gave them. You know, he's more Jordan Love than he is to attack a Loa. And, you know, he went way before Jordan Love and only one pick behind Tua. So it's it's not, as you said, it's not that they drafted Justin Herbert based on what was available. It's that they did not explore the options to move up a couple picks which really is not going to cost that much to select just a much better prospect. So that was definitely, you know, somewhat of a disappointment. I mean, there wasn't that much talk that they were going to move up, but at the same time, I mean, you gotta, you gotta at least look into that. I mean, maybe again, they had Herbert closer. A lot of people in the league might, I just, I want to see a guy who steps up a little more in big moments. I mean, we said it last year with Justin Jarrett Stidham all the time, how we liked him and he had first round talent, but he was a fourth round pick because he never took the bull by the horns in a big moment. Well, neither did Justin Herbert, but Justin Herbert wasn't a fourth round pick. He was closer to the fourth overall pick than a fourth round pick. So very interesting there. I like the Joe Reed pick in round five. Um, you know, I was just, this guy is explosive, but he's also like 225 pounds. Um, you know, he's a deep threat, but you can get him the ball in reverses. He's kind of like a poor man's Antonio Gibson, Lynn Bowden in a lot of ways. And he's probably going to line up more at receiver than those guys may, but at the same time, I mean, he, he's a guy that can impact the game. He's also a very good returner. So at the very least you got a good returner there, but I think he's a guy who has sneaky upside to really perform on offense and, and make more of an impact for the chargers than a lot of people think. Yeah. I mean, again, that offensive weapon, it seems to be the invoked thing now in the NFL. And he's a guy that could bring a lot of uniqueness and versatility to that offense you know something that I think they're lacking a little bit to be honest with you I mean they have good players on offense but I think they're they're lacking a guy that has a lot of versatility to be that offensive weapon you know playmaker type and and do stuff after the catch and I think that's you know we can bring that to the table a little bit there uh for them for sure so guys there it is all 16 teams uh from the AFC in the books Chris, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much uh, for coming on air and doing this with me. Uh, welcome distraction from everything going on in the real world right now. Please let the audience know where they can uh, follow you and if there's anything you want to sh- extra want to share. Well, you know, as always, a pleasure to, to come on and talk ball with you. We, we do it enough, so we might as well record it and, and make a show out of it and try to entertain some people. So glad I'm able to have the opportunity to uh, to do that. And, and certainly, you know, hope everything is, is going well with your family, with, with everything that's going on here. And hope everybody's well and, and staying safe. And, you know, to all the, all the listeners out there as well, you know, just, just keep keep doing what we're doing. You know, it may not feel like it's working, but we're here. We're just doing everything we can to to make it through. And, you know, there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. There already kind of looks like there might be in a lot of situations. So, you know, just, just keep plugging away. And, you know, it's, it's, if it's driving you crazy, it's driving everybody else crazy too. Uh, but, you know, in the meantime, you got a lot of time on your hands now. So feel free to check me out on Twitter at Chris Tripodi. Uh Feel free to go over to my podcast, Believe in the Draft Analyst on the Believe Podcast Network with Tony Pauline. Uh, we're going through our own kind of draft reviews as well, you know, during this season, as is everybody around the industry. So, you know, definitely uh, check us out there at the Believe Network. Check me out on Twitter and then continue to you know follow along with what Paul's doing here. Obviously, he does great work, and it's always a pleasure and, and an honor to, to come on and, and chat with him about some drafts here. 
Absolutely, guys. Make sure you're following Chris and make sure you're checking out their podcast. Tony and Chris do an absolutely fantastic job year round, you know, talking about the college prospects. Uh, you know, Tony has a lot of uh, sources. He gets a lot of great information, great nuggets, you know, leading up to the draft. All their episodes were must listen. Now they're doing a great job going division by division, even a little bit more in depth than what Chris and I just went uh, tonight when we jammed all 16 teams from the AFC into one podcast. They're going division by division, so they're going even a little bit deeper uh, into each of the draft classes. So make sure you get over there, check that out, and follow it year-round for great college football talk, great coverage of the All-Star Games, the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Game, uh, and and the NFL Combine, and then obviously the NFL Draft pre- and post-NFL Draft as well. And if again, if you're a fan of what Matt and I have been doing here, please get over to the website, quickestwaysstsfootball.com. You can still, not too late, to uh, check out the premium notebooks. I know the freshman notebook is set to release as well. That is the fourth and final notebook. Matt has been working on that. Uh, Everything you need to know about the top incoming freshmen for your Debbie leagues or get a head start for your down-the-line dynasty rookie draft or if you're just a fan of college football and want to know you know, who the next wave of stars could be, the freshman notebook has you covered. Uh, you also get the scouting notebook, the rankings notebook, the draft projections notebook, uh, the rankings notebook, the, dyna- the dynasty rookie rankings uh, for myself and Matt have been updated and posted. Our Debbie rankings have been updated. So a lot of stuff there as well. Uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to me or to SS Handle, uh, and I'll gladly uh, talk through anything that you may have questions on. So besides that, make sure you're following Chris. Make sure you listen to their podcast. Uh, and hopefully that you enjoyed this longer podcast, but thorough breakdown of every team in the AFC uh, you know, favorite picks, value picks, questionable picks. I know I enjoy doing these podcasts very much. I gave my quick hit your thoughts uh, right after each night of the NFL draft, but this kind of lets me, you know, take a step back and, and look at the entire uh, collection of picks that a team does, and it's fun doing these shows for sure. So on behalf of Chris, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.